Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. I almost forgot what network we were on there for a second. I almost said (laughs) scout.com. Rest in peace. I'm joined by Tracy Pearson, who's been there through it all. Been there through Rivals, through scout.com, through... Weren't we just scout for a while? Oh my god, are you really serious? We We started out as soup... Well, don't say we. I can say I was super Bruin. Mm Mm-hmm. For about eight hot seconds. Weren't you and, a super prep for a while or something like that? Well, they tried to start the first one with Alan Wallace and super prep. So all the sites were super whatever. Right. Yeah. And then what's funny too is remember the Prodigy days? You were probably too young, Dave. But I, uh, I, I remember Prodigy as a late 90s band. That's all I've got. <laughs> well, that's close. I mean, there was a, a UCLA recruiting group. I can't remember where it was. <laughs> But my uh, username was Mr. Gladstone. So everyone remembers me from that. And I always remember when someone got mad at me over something, they said, I can never trust anyone who takes their username from an adulterer. Wow, that's a deep cut. (laughs) You know, because of the graduate. Yeah. Deep cut. That was, was good. Anyway, so yeah, no, a lot of little iterations there. Yeah. yeah, and then remember, it was going to be Fox Next. Fox Next, Fox. that's what I was going to get to, because Fox Sports Next, I think that was the worst potential name. Like, among all the different names that this site and industry have had, I think Fox Sports Next was particularly horrific. I had a meeting at Fox for, like, about two hours, sat around a conference table, just arguing so logically and brilliantly about why you should name this thing Fox next. And they just would not listen to me. It's a beautiful thing. Anyway, we're here to talk, not history, but the current state of UCLA athletics. Uh, and the a, future. The, the future. We're here to talk about the current and the future. We're not here to talk about the past. That's not no. what we're here for. Past Sometimes is done, is. Dave. It's Sometimes over, it Dave. Sometimes yeah. it is, but it's not over. this time. We've got a lot to talk about. Um, transfers galore, both into, well, both out of and potentially into the program um, recruiting situation. Now that the uh, early signing period is done, heading into January and the February signing period, and uh, and, and then we got to do it. We got to talk some basketball. So, lot to talk about. What sport did you just? just um, I, I don't know. It's something with a ball that bounces. Um, because that wasn't basketball the other night. No, 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 no. Um, but let's lead off with some football. Let's let's okay. let's get people like at least you know, I don't know. Uh, is it really good at this point, or is it just something else to talk about? But anyway, um, <laughs> big news from signing day that wasn't involving recruiting. Um, and I think maybe the lead item for anybody talking about this year's team coming up is uh, Andre James. Um, electing to put his name into the NFL draft. We talked about this a little bit on the last show, the potential for this happening. I didn't think it was a great idea, but obviously we talked about the circumstances involved. You know, he obviously has family situation, um, whether that might play into it, and ultimately he made the decision to go. Obviously we wish him the best, but what are your thoughts on on this decision and what it means for the team going forward? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. You know, blame fault him uh, for that decision at all. I, I, I mean, I know, you know, I, I know about Andre James and what kind of kid he is. He's a good kid, and he had, you know, some 
obviously some pers- personal tragedy there uh, with his dad dying. Uh, you know, I just put out this morning the projected 2019 depth chart, and it's amazing how you take out one player like that, and it really kind of changes the whole perspective. Um, that offensive line, even even with Justin Murphy leaving, uh, you know, okay, we like Justin Murphy, but he wasn't a, really an impact starter to me. You take out the starting left tackle like that, a two-year starter, then suddenly you start thinking, well, now look at that offensive line. I, I mean, who's who's the left tackle? So then you start questioning <laughs> – the offensive line, which makes you question the running game and the entire offense. And now, seriously, the entire season is kind of thrown into whack. But but no guilt intended at Andre James at all. But, yeah, it's amazing how that can just completely change a perspective. Yeah. <clears throat> um, sorry about the auto-playing video in the background. That's just 247 at work. Um, wow. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about that. Whew. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, so, uh, yeah, looking at your depth chart, um, I, you know, when I think about, and I'm not trying to do the thing where, oh, a guy leaves and I start downplaying his contributions from the previous season. Um, but we said this kind of real time. I don't think left tackle was necessarily his ideal position. And I don't know if he played all that great this year there, but even when you're talking about that, the drop off from him to who we would project as the left tackle right now, which you know, sight unseen, we're saying, okay, Sean Ryan, you're probably going to, you know, get a pretty good shot at that. Um, that's a tough jump, you know, going from an experienced, what, redshirt junior down to a true freshman, um, if that ends up happening. Um, and yeah, you expect Boss Tagaloa to improve, Chris Murray to improve, Mike Alvis to improve, even Jake Burton, who I think showed a lot of improvement throughout the year. All those guys showed improvement throughout the year, but um I mean, at best, what are you thinking? The line is maybe as good as it was at the end of last year, which is fine. But the depth situation is pretty yikes. Um, yeah. It's full Especially of nobody but non-contributors. Especially with the loss of Sataoa Laumea, too, because I think he would have... I, I think he's a future... Oh, I shouldn't say that. It's going to depress everyone. I, I think he's a future pro. <laughs> And to have had him on your two deep is is a lot is another thing that really completely tweaks that depth chart. Um, I think they're going to have to be very active in the graduate transfer market mm-hmm. uh, to try to snag a potential tackle somehow um, that could maybe come in and start, you know, at left tackle. Actually, I mean, I I think Sean Ryan's really talented. That's it's one thing like Chris Marie to come in and start at an interior position, but to come in and start at left tackle, that's a hell of a, that's a hell of a, oh, mount, yeah. uh, you know, that's just, yeah. I have a so wonky, I have a wonky question, Tracy. Okay. Wonky. Justin Murphy, did he finish his graduate degree? Was it a one year program? And if he didn't, will that affect UCLA's football program and their ability to get graduate transfers in past admissions? That's a great, good, perfect question. And we didn't even conspire before this for you to ask that question. No. Because it's, it's related to the fact uh, that UCLA has had a number of transfer quarterbacks reach out also. Um, some grad transfers, some regular transfers, um, but grad transfers. Um, 
It was with, and why this pertains is that Justin Murphy's program was a one-year program, uh, to my knowledge. So he couldn't return. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know if he necessarily wanted to. I heard that he he wants to. His intention is to go back to Texas and and be closer to family. But I don't think he could return because his graduate program was a year. We know how difficult it is for grad transfers to get into a two-year grad program. Um, that that could be what really you know, hurts UCLA in trying to recruit grad transfers, especially those that have multiple years. There, are, I think there are a couple of grad transfers out there that might have multiple years left to play. And UCLA's inability to get them into a grad program could really hurt that. Um, that one-year educational uh, grad program worked with Justin Murphy, and it will work with the majority of you know, other grad transfers who want to come for a year. But yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be tough. That's going to be a hard thing. We'll see how, if Chip can navigate and manipulate his way around for that, for grad transfer programs. The, uh, the other transfer that um, you posted about today, you you did a little story on the front page about is the uh, Georgia quarterback transfer, Justin Fields. Um, this would be a conventional transfer. Um, wh- what's the thought on this? Because reading a lot of stuff about Ohio State and, and various other big time programs in the mix here, but he's apparently reached out to UCLA. What's your What's your thought on this one? Um, I, I think I think head to head everything. I don't think he ends up at UCLA. Um, I'm also people might not you know like this much, but um, uh, I. Th- He's he's similar in his game, probably better, but he's similar in his game to uh, DTR to Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh, if he got that waiver uh, where he didn't have to sit out, he'd be a sophomore next year. I I I can't. You're bringing in the exact same kind of guy, maybe a little bit better. Let's say he beats out DTR. Uh, you're arguing. You're the issue is two things: depth. Because I've got a feeling that Austin Burton, who isn't a potential starter probably at UCLA, but is a good depth guy, it will probably transfer. Uh, we don't know about Chase Griffin, about how effective he can be at this level. We know Matt Lynch. But right now they have those two scholarship guys, if you just count DTR and Matt Lynch. I just think there are too many elements there that he's similar to DTR that that would risk that DTR leaves. Um, Austin Burton potentially leaving. I don't know. I, I, I think it could potentially create a really stressed situation at quarterback, especially when there are other graduate transfer quarterbacks who I think might serve their purpose possibly a little bit better, that they come in for a year or two. Uh, they don't run off DTR. They provide good depth, and we saw what UCLA's offense did when it had an experienced quarterback executing it in Wilton Spade. Um, I'm not completely convinced of what I'm saying, Dave. Yeah, (laughs) because I'm I'm just presenting this these sides of it that it's something to consider. That maybe uh, I think if Justin Fields turns around tomorrow and calls UCLA and says I want to come, you can't turn him down. 
But I think there's a lot of good reasoning on why if he doesn't come to UCLA, you might it might not be that it might you might be almost better off in many ways. Yeah, I, I can I can see that, and also all things being relatively equal, and I I don't know much about Justin Fields from I haven't watched a whole lot of him, so I don't I don't know. But if all things are relatively equal, I'd rather you know not piss off the local kid who's yeah you know similar. And yeah, frankly, I mean I I, I know a lot of people are justifiably a little like you know not. I don't think down on Dorian Thompson Robinson, but a little skeptical that he'll be able to play at a super high level next year. But he, I mean, he put together a couple of games before he suffered the initial uh, shoulder injury this year where it was like, okay, things are starting to come together for him. Um, yeah. So, absolutely. If he puts together a good offseason, good spring, I mean, I, I think that's the one where. We talked about this last time where we're sort of now on board with just take as many quarterbacks as you need um, in any given year because you're probably going to get a bunch of transfers and all that stuff. I wouldn't want to really overemphasize the grad transfer market um, because at a certain point you just want to be able to develop a guy who's going to start for you for a couple of years and not just um, keep taking stop gaps because, I don't know, does that stunt Dorian Thompson Robinson's development at some point? Like if you have to commit to that guy starting, whatever, March 1st or whenever they start spring ball, does that change his development arc? You know what I mean? No, I absolutely agree. And I, and I agree, you can't keep doing stop gaps every year. But I think to, uh, you know, jumpstart the program <laughs> yeah, it's under Chip Kelly, he needs he needs to be able to do this. for. He did it last year, and, and I would not be adverse to him doing it for one more year given the state of his quarterback death chart. Yeah, so... Um... All right, so we should pivot a little bit to recruiting stuff. Um, quickly, I mean, we wrote, we combined well, two Well, one right. thing really quickly on transfer. Sorry, Dave. Um, right now I'm counting literally, uh, as Chip Kelly said, they gave out six, 16 uh, yesterday, and he has six or seven left. So in his book, 22 or 23, I think he might be pocketing a couple. I count upwards of 26 that are available, and there could be a few more left that are going to leave by fall. Um, so I, I think they're going to be active on the, on the transfer market. This, that, that, the whole new transfer rules, it's a whole new game. Um, and there are, there are players out there who have already put their name in, submitted their name for the transfer portal, and are, you know, are talking to other schools talking to UCLA right now. It's a weird dynamic when during when you're still in the recruiting cycle and you're talking about transfers. So, but I think they're going to be very active there too. And and you know, Chip Kelly might be better recruiting good transfers than he is recruiting high school players. Like what we were saying about recruiting what you wrote in your article today was that you know 17 year old 18 year olds want to be schmoozed a little they want to be shown some love they they want to go out to a nice dinner that <laughs> you know they want to see the sights a little when you're a transfer you're probably all yeah i've been there done all that i, I want to know what's going to get me to the league um yeah. and you would perceive that chip kelly would be a guy to do that the all business approach might appeal more to transfers than they would a high school uh recruits yeah that makes sense um and i think 
you know, there's certainly some reason to believe that he's going to appeal to a more mature student-athlete. So, yeah, I could buy that. Um, I, I, I would be very... So I, I, it's, a, it's a definitely a new strategy you can follow with the transfer database and the whole thing, and I think it should be something that you utilize. But I am really loath to lean too much on it, and I think they should be as well. Um, because building through transfer, um, you know, I think that's a lot of how Oregon tried to handle its quarterback situation towards the end of the Kelly era and into the Helfrich era, and that didn't work out too well. Um, and I, I would be... I, I, I think I think these are almost like a lot of ways to avoid doing the like the the really unpalatable stuff of recruiting seventeen year olds. Like it's just I, I understand these guys aren't as developed as much. Maybe they take a little bit more projection, and it takes a lot more kissing ass. Um, but it's the game. It's just the game, and you got to do it. Um, yeah, I think I think there will be like like you wrote, and we talked about it before you wrote that article that. Just say it, Tracy. I, Just say it. No, I think we was. wrote. We wrote. <laughs> Dave and I were just talking about like whenever I write an article or Dave writes an article on his own. Every you know, there are people out there who go, "Wow, that was really good." Whenever Dave and I collaborate on an article, like either Dave wrote it, he put his byline on it, and I added to it, or I wrote it and Dave added to mine. That's when we get all the praise, like, oh, my God, you guys hit this out of the park. Or, no, you hit this out of the park, Dave or Tracy. No, it's always, and- it's always Dave, you hit this out of the park. Tracy could never. <laughs> or, Tracy, you really hit this. You're the only one who could have done this. <laughs> it's like we're, we're, we're B-level writers unless we collaborate, then, we're, then we get A's. That's, that's it? That's all it is? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just half a man. <laughs> I'm incomplete without you, Dave. Oh, that's really sweet to say. Um, So, all right. So we should talk about actual recruiting. Okay. Like actual recruiting. The signing day that just passed, we wrote a long thing about it. I don't think we want to hash the whole thing out again. But the general rule, Tracy just touched on it. But um, we've we've talked about this extensively. Evaluate however you want. Use whatever evaluation metrics you want. We buy your evaluation metrics. Like they, they seem to make sense. And when we see guys, we're like, hey, that guy's actually pretty good. He probably is underrated. Go, go chip. You're evaluating correctly. Um, but everything we heard throughout the cycle from so many different sources and players is that they simply weren't recruiting hard enough. They weren't, go, they weren't talking to kids nearly enough. Um, and that seemed to be a strategy. And it seems to be a flawed one. And you know, as, as you added to the piece, um, hopefully that's something that changes going forward. Hopefully it's something that changes literally this next month, January, uh, but certainly for the next cycle. I don't think it was necessarily a strategy as much as possibly, uh, you know, chip, you know, hadn't really recruited in five years in, in college and, you know, uh, just thought he didn't, it wasn't a strategy that it would be more effective by doing this, but maybe thought that he didn't necessarily have to be that active during the season, especially in his first season. I think that's going to change. I, I mean, you know, Chip Kelly obviously can be, you know, a little arrogant. You can see that where, he, you know, he probably thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. But from what I know and everyone I know who knows him fairly well, he say he they say he is also 
smart enough to realize when he has to change, that it's smarter to go down a different path. And from what I'm hearing, that that probably is going to happen in recruiting with this next cycle. So I would be a little surprised if they didn't recruit harder during the season than they did this last season. Yeah, and that's really the trick because, I mean, you can't, I think when you're at, they might have gotten, and, they, and because he took so much time off, he might have gotten a little bit cocky even after the last recruiting cycle because they closed really well over that final month and a half. And he might have thought, oh, this is just how it is. I can recruit like this. And, you know, and I can take it easy during the season or not take it easy, but, you know, do the extensive evaluation process without actually committing too many resources to the actual grunt, awful part of it, which is kissing ass. Um, and talking to kids. I mean, it's not just kissing ass. It's talking to kids. It's relationship building. It's all of that stuff. Um, and thought, okay, well, we can just do kind of similar to what we did this first cycle, which is hit the ground running in December and just close hard. Um, and you could have, if you've been out of the game for four years, you might have thought after that first cycle, okay, this is what kind of a, a, a workable strategy going forward. Right. So Yeah, and I, and I think the model is Washington. You know, uh, and I think that's probably what I, I know Chip really respects Chris Peterson. And I, I can I can see UCLA kind of paralleling in in its football program. A lot of the a lot of what we've seen from Washington in the last how many years has he been there? Five, six years? Uh, 2014. So I think this is his fifth year. Wow. Coming up. Yeah. Time flies. Yeah. Time um, flies when you're having fun. So yeah, so there's that. Um, going over the class itself, I mean, we've I've written and ha- rehashed, hashed and rehashed. Yeah, they didn't do well in, at some positions. Uh, linebacker recruiting, outside linebacker recruiting, inside linebacker recruiting. They just seemed to miscalculate that they would need guys. They miscalculated, I think, how they were doing with the few guys they were recruiting. Um, so we'll see if they can pull out some guys that are UCLA level, you know, between now and, and February. There are some guys out there, but it's going to take it's going to take, you know, a monumental recruiting effort to get them. Um, so that it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. I, I mean, going over yesterday, getting Siale Liku was just a huge a huge win for UCLA just because God, just what a couple of months ago, they, they hadn't even offered a defensive lineman in the 2019 class. I mean, just let that sink in. Well, they had offered Ika, you know, the guy they had no chance, they offered him and then never recruited him (laughs) and had no chance to get him anyway. So they hadn't offered until they offered what Nick Figueroa and, and Daytona Jackson and those guys are both you know defensive end types so they they hadn't they hadn't decided that they needed defensive linemen and you know Dave we're pretty smart but all in all we're still just slappies and but we've been doing this and we can say oh no you need to take defensive linemen every year (laughs) every year no matter what just keep loading up they're gonna get hurt they're gonna transfer they're not gonna live up to their billing just keep taking them every year But I wonder if that's a little bit of the NFL mindset shaken loose still a little bit. Because in the NFL draft, because you only have 53 roster spots, you do kind of recruit to absolute, like, okay, we need one of this, so let's get one of this. 
But, it, I mean, it's squishier in college football because guys get hurt or they lose interest in football or whatever happens. Like, over, that's why you need to carry, like, 16 offensive linemen, as he was talking about yesterday. And maybe that is kind of a sign of maybe some things starting to, I don't know, shake loose a little bit. Because, I mean, looking at the roster, I mean, we just talked about the offensive line. I think they should take, like, this is a class where if they took, like, seven offensive linemen, eight offensive linemen, I'd be like, okay, that's fine. Like, yeah. I, I'd be completely fine with that. Um, and you're, you're shooting for 15 or 16 offensive line, but to get to 15 or 16 guys in your program that can either play or, or be even decent on the scout team or, you know, just be positive contributors to your program, you need to recruit 25. I mean, there are so many guys that would come in and not make it, just not develop, not develop physically quit the program, get injured. There's so many you have to recruit just to get to that 15. Yeah. Um, and the same with defensive line. I mean, when it comes to skill, there are so many receivers out there, man. There are a lot of DBs. There are just, you can get to all those guys. How hard have, has it been that we've seen for UCLA to get a nose tackle? That's the thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, he, that's why the lines, you really have to pr- place a premium on just athletic talent and ability because I, I I'm reasonably convinced Chip Kelly can turn kind of, you know, any reasonably fast guy on offense into a, a pretty good player. Um, but it's tough to do that on the lines. It's just, and Siala Liku is, I remember when I saw him at a camp last year, when I first saw him, I looked at him and the way he moved and the way he carried his weight, I said, yeah, he's probably six, two, six, three, man. I, I think he's probably about two eighty five. 290 and I went up to him and I said you know what did you weigh and he said uh I think he said like 320 (laughs) (laughs) I went whoa and I'm I'm really good usually at nailing weights and he just didn't look like that and that's a really good sign that someone carries their weight that easily so I, I mean it's just an absolute slam dunk you know you and I have never been a recruiting coordinator at any program but I think we know you just you got to load up on the OLs and DLs every year. You just you take them until oh. they stop coming. Like you, yeah. you just okay. Well, I guess we're full because nobody else is even interested in us anymore. So we're full now. Over recruiting. Uh, Remember, yeah. it took it took Mora. What I think he didn't he say that after his like his fourth year. <laughs> Remember, there was an yeah, uh, there was got, a got, interview, but he was getting big into the idea that just everyone needed to be big by that point. He was like, we just need size everywhere. Like, I think yeah. he honestly, those early Clem offensive line classes were stacked. I mean, he had, what was it, like six dudes in that 2013 class? Like Caleb Beninock, Alex Redmond, Scott Quisenberry. Like, they had a bunch of guys in that class. And See, I think and that's even, part of why yeah. they sustained those first three years is they had, because they had a ton of injuries. If you remember, like 2013, they had a ton of offensive line injuries, but they had all these true freshmen who can just step in and play. Because you need that. See, that's what happened, though. They recruited a lot of big numbers on the offensive line, and then four or five years into it, where did all those guys go? They stopped recruiting four guys a year because they thought, oh, look at all the guys we have, and they started being more selective, and then suddenly they had no talent and no depth on the offensive line. It just disappeared yeah, really what was quick. That? There was that one crazy year on the offensive line. It might have been the year after 2013 where they decided – exactly what you're saying. We're just not going to recruit any offensive linemen. And that was the year they got Colton Miller and Najee Turan. And that was it. Yeah. 
That's just you should good. never just take two offensive linemen. I, no. I think minimum three, but I, I would I would shoot for four a year. Yeah, four a year. Four I mean, four four a year because then let's say you've got you know five classes, including the red shirts. That's twenty guys, but by the time they're red shirt, you've lost you've lost four or five. So you're right in that sweet spot of fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. Four a year. Always do it, no matter what. Yep. That's our new rule. Um, so they switched out Josh Carlin for Satoa Laomea. I just love saying his name. It's really good. Um, yeah, that was that was very interesting. We had we had seen, saw, we had heard that they had started to reach out to him. They went to go see him, talk to him. Uh, we made we made the call though, knowing that they had talked to him. We thought they had talked to him about being a preferred walk-on, um, that he wasn't going to get offered a scholarship. Uh, I'm, I, I, they need bodies, and I, I think it was good to take a fourth. But I don't, you know, I hope Josh Carlin's listening, and he's, and this is going to piss him off and make him play hard for the next four or five years that he wants to prove me wrong. I, I think that was probably a questionable take, yeah. um, especially when, as Brandon reminded me this morning. Uh, that they pass on a guy like Donovan West um, that they could have gotten early on. I saw Donovan West and Josh Carlin literally working out next to each other at the Kalu camp last June, just literally alternating reps. Donovan West was just beating the crap out of people. Josh Carlin was iffy, you know, a little soft in the body, you know, just not technically good, bending at the waist, while Donovan West was just destroying. And I remember a coach came up to me and I said, you know, Donovan West. And he said, well, he's only six, two and a half. So, so really, I'm not saying UCLA coach. I'm just saying generally a coach. So they off, they opted, they struck Donovan West off the list because really because of an inch, I'd say a superior player who I think is a better prospect than Josh Carlin and they didn't take him because of one inch. I, I just I, I get the measurables and stuff, but there are times when just if you're a really good player, I understand if you're a really good player and you're a five ten offensive lineman. Yeah, that that doesn't make sense. But the difference between six two and a half and six three and a half shouldn't make the difference it well, and it's that it, much better it goes back to what we were talking about i think at the beginning of this recruiting cycle which is are they using that as a filter in or a filter out like right. essentially do you use the measurables things to find sleepers or are you using the measurables thing to eliminate guys that you would otherwise recruit um, right. and i think we both support the idea the first idea which is use it to find guys who are a little bit under the radar Filter in. But I don't know if we necessarily... I mean, I think you can... The thing is, it's case by case. Some guys who are undersized, and especially at certain positions, um, like I'll always, and this is just a personal preference thing, I'll almost always take an undersized linebacker who's, who's got great instincts and is mean as hell. Because, and fast. Yeah, who, like- who, and who wants to play football. Because that's such a... You know, you've got to really want it to be a good middle linebacker. Like you can. Who's be a, your favorite linebacker in the Pac-12? I know you're going to come through ben, with this. Ben Burkirvan. Oh, he's my guy. Yeah, I, I, and he's I, like when I watch one ninety-five or something. I think they probably list him at like six foot two twenty, but he's realistically 
five ten and a half and probably two oh five, yeah. let's say. And I watched Washington this year just to watch him. I just isolated on him because he was so much fun. Yeah. I mean, he is he is lightning fast, but but he just but he <laughs> tackles he tackles mean for a guy who's like five ten or whatever. Yeah, like it's just yeah. so they might not take this guy. Yeah, if you're going by Sladex, and, and that's why I don't. That's why I think you've got to use it as a filter in. You've got to use that to yeah. say, okay, there's this guy who isn't getting any love, but he's six five. He's two thirty. He moves like this, and he just doesn't have a lot of film or something. Okay, yeah, that's that's that makes sense, but um, yeah, I don't. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll see how that develops going forward. I think we're all kind of taking this as a mulligan, essentially. Um, but they don't get too many of these. Um, you don't get you don't get another first class um, that's going to set the tone for your entire era, but you don't get a whole lot of time to kind of scuffle around with recruiting. So, we'll we'll hopefully see some things develop here soon. Yeah, and if you're talking about a filter in, that would be Hayden Harris, right? That's a filter in, and that's one where I'm like, okay. I mean, I I, I don't know. Um, it I I generally don't. If I'm UCLA, like to compete with the uh, Black Hill State and Colorado School of Mines of the world. Where's uh, Black Hill State? That's got to be South Dakota, right? That is where the Black Hills are, right? Yeah, I've got to figure that's South Dakota. Um, okay. So, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see on that one. I think that's probably, a, again, a bit of a reach. I, it's just one of those things where, yeah, you can take a guy like that, but you could also, there's probably, I don't know, 10 guys locally that you could probably take who are similar. I don't know. It's just, do you have to well, go all the um, way to Washington for that one? Yeah, but you are, you are going to, uh, what, Eastern Catholic, which is absolutely loaded. So if you are going to take one of those guys, and you happen to take a guy from a loaded program who sure. could help you with some sure. elite juniors. Yeah. I mean, that's usually not the way Chip thinks. <laughs> but which just makes know. me wonder if that's if that's really the that way. was the reasoning. Yeah. yeah, and maybe it is. Maybe it is. But um, that's. I mean, so if we're going to talk about the class, we'll just note. You know, they they got Sean Ryan. It, we wouldn't be fair unless we mentioned that. Uh, and that that's a major. Imagine not getting Sean Ryan and Andre James going pro just let that sink in for a while oh, yeah. um and then with siali liku and daytona jackson they went from literally two weeks ago where i looked at it realistically that they were going to strike out on the defensive line to that being a thumbs up in the recruiting meter <laughs> today which was is pretty amazing and that whole daytona jackson story I don't know if you've read about him, but he's 23 years old. He took four years off after he graduated from high school, knew he was a good football player, got physically bigger and said, I'm, I'm going to go play. And he's very good. He's going to be a 23-year-old coming into play with UCLA's young defensive line. And like I've said, I, I think he needs to play some rush end. Uh, in passing situations, he might – you know, be standing up and being the guy putting pressure because obviously UCLA needs someone who can pass rush and nothing against Hayden Harrison, but I don't think he's going to fulfill that role next year. So getting those two guys literally was, was really the coup of the class. And I shudder to think if, if that had gone South, what we would have been dealing with on the message board, I probably would have had to shut it down. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Uh, are you ready to talk some hoops? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess what everyone wants to know too are the guys that we think they should be targeting. Okay. You know, and just throw that out. Daniel Haimuli, uh, the the inside linebacker, I think they're going to be up against it with Washington and Oregon. Hopefully Washington and Oregon decides <laughs> that they don't need an in, another inside linebacker and maybe UCLA really picks up its its aggressiveness in recruiting. Would love to see them get Puka Nakua. And th- there's a realistic possibility that he might shake loose from USC. If he does, he probably goes to Utah. But those are two situations right now. What we're saying is UCLA should prove that they're ready now to go out and recruit, out recruit some guys, given what happened during the season. So I'd say those are the two guys. Go out and get those two guys in if Puka shakes loose and Daniel Haimuli. Can you, can you please February. say Puka shakes loose again? Puka shakes loose. Yeah, that's good. Like um, that. And then one other guy I want to mention is Jackson Cloyd. That that kid from Orange Lutheran, I I didn't check yesterday, but I still think he doesn't have a D1 offer. And I, I'm with Biggins completely. Biggins is such a nice guy. There are some There are some Orange County guys that are undersized and – just really good high school players, and he advocates for them sometimes because, you know, that's the way Greg is. He's a good guy. Um, but Jackson Cloyd shouldn't be one of those guys. He's 6'2", 225. He's physically big. He's not slow. He's quicker than you might think. I, I just really kind of at a loss why he has not gotten an offer. Yeah. I think he's going to be one of those guys that, you know, that underachiever – you know, that just, you know, he's Ben Burkirvin, but two inches taller and not as fast. <laughs> but has a chip on his shoulder because he wasn't recruited. Yeah. Chip on. That's what I want in a linebacker. You want chip on your shoulder. You want that. You, you want some dude who's got some resentment. And who has more resentment than small guys, right? That's why I want small I'm telling you, in, in so often, too, let me tell you this. Everyone thinks Orange County is a place of white privilege where all these spoiled kids come out of there and they've just, I'm telling you, some of the most motivated, tough, hard-nosed. Uh, hold on, I've got to put an editor's note in here. Uh, Tracy Tracy grew up in uh, Orange County. I, I put up in Orange County, so I, I lived this firsthand. But And I hated Orange County, so I wanted to do everything, come up with every reason why not to like it. But overdoing this, t- over time of doing this, I noticed that a lot of kids come out of Orange County with a chip on their shoulder because they are under recruited and they, and they're, they become very tough kids who, who become very good college players in both basketball and, and football. So it's not like you can say because he's from orange County that he's going to be soft. There are a lot of kids that come out of there that are pretty tough minded. Right. You're not going to edit that, right? Not a bit. Not a bit. Okay, good. Good. Are you, are you ready? Yeah, what are we talking about? <clears throat> We're talking about the other sport. Um, I'm going to lead off with something. Uh, so a little... underachieving soft is no, what no, got no, no, you? No. We're not even going to talk about UCLA to start this off. Are you okay. ready? Sure. Uh, number 17 in Ken Palm's rankings. Uh, mm-hmm. 10 and 1 with wins over St. Mary's, Clemson, Cincinnati. Lone loss to Arizona State. <laughs> That's your Ben Howland. Why are you doing this to me? Why are you doing Mississippi this? Mississippi State Bulldogs. That? 
They have the 20th best offense in the country, 40th best defense. They are projected to go 23-8, and 12-6 in conference, comfortably make the NCAA tournament. It is the culmination of Ben Howland's turnaround at Mississippi State. Couple of scuffling years, much better last year. Actually good this year. Ben Howland. I And they beat Cincinnati by 12, I think? They beat them by 11, 70-59. Put the clamps down on that explosive Cincinnati offense that put up 93 on UCLA last night. This is my, you know, you have DVR regrets that you didn't tape something or that you did tape something and you have to take the time to delete it. My biggest DVR regret is I made my mental note. Oh, damn, I got it. And I never, I didn't tape that game. Yeah. Um, I would have loved, I would love to see Ben Hallen's Mississippi State team play UCLA right now. I would pay a lot of money to see that. Well, it doesn't look like Mississippi State's making the NIT this year, so I don't think we're going to see it this season. How about how about Do you see what I did there? Yeah, I saw what you did there. But so you're assuming UCLA makes the NIT? <laughs> <laughs> see what I did there, Dave? I saw what you did there. <laughs> Come on, I want that would be a great first round game, don't you think? Oh my god, it would be beautiful. I mean, UCLA, I think, is still very much alive in the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 is such dog doo-doo um, that UCLA could win the Pac-12 tournament. I, I think they might even be the favorite to win the Pac-12 tournament come March. So, auto bid UCLA wins a play-in game and then plays like a four seed Mississippi State. Oh my gosh, that could happen. Let's, and you know, can, let's, could you let's, just see let's ben? will this into existence. Let's will this into existence. Could you see Ben? You know, at times when Ben was on the sideline, he'd get out there and almost guard someone. Yeah, he would do that. You all know, game. you know, he'd be doing that. He'd be right on Jalen's hands. Oh man, it would be beautiful. It would be so beautiful. Um, anyway, uh, we got to talk about UCLA. Um, I just wanted to, you know, I just wanted to see how our our. Uh, our, our former friend Ben was doing. Uh, UCLA lost uh, by nearly 30 points last night on the road against a um, good but not great Cincinnati team. Nowhere near as good as Cincinnati was last year. Um, comes they, on the they look like incredible in that game. Well, they, they sure did. So- they sure did. UCLA has a habit of making teams look incredible. Uh, yeah. the, the previous game, they lost to a Belmont team. Belmont, yes, the other Bruins. Um, and I didn't even think Belmont played that well. Uh, and they lost to them at home. So uh, they now have four losses. Uh, they are 7-4. and four. Um, The best win is Notre Dame. They're 55th in Ken Palm. Um, the worst loss is Belmont. Uh, they have no resume what, whatsoever. Um, hey, they, Liberty. What's Liberty? They're not uh, bad. Liberty, Liberty is an institution that UCLA should never schedule. Um, Jerry Falwell's university, um, and uh, they have an interesting track record. There, they, they've got an interesting track record on LGBT rights. That's a, that's an interesting pick for the schedule there. Um, anyway, Ohio State coming up this weekend. They've got if they win that one, that will finally give UCLA a resume win. But yeah, it's dicey. Let's just say it. Let's just say it. I, I mean. Everyone's waiting for us to say it. They're waiting for us to write about it. And our policy has always been not to write, not to put up like a coaching hot board. Are you going to say <laughs> well, it first or do I? Can I say it? Or are you going to say you it? it? You do it. So no. So you get blamed. It's time for a or new the, coach. I'm sorry. Say it again. It's, it's, time, it's time for a new basketball coach. 
I was going to have Greg Hicks guest on this show. <laughs> we should have just Greg had it like Mike him in just for that one thing. Okay, thanks, Greg. <laughs> yeah, they. Um, then, so then you and I have deniability. Yeah, oh. no, it would be beautiful. Um, we should still do that. We should retroactively do that. Um, okay. Yeah, it's time. Um, there. So I, taking the temperature of the fan base, um, our board is unanimous now. I don't think there's a single holdout left on our board. Um, yeah, there are boards out there where they are still predominantly pro Alford. They're not pro Alford. They're anti bro. I think it's a big <laughs> distinction. It's it's the island of the misfit toys. Like all these people who have been banned by bro over the years or found the that they just couldn't handle the message board wars. They are invested in being contrary. Um, but I think if you take those people out, and I think there's like a vocal twelve. Uh, the fan base is unanimous. This is this is done. Yeah, you know, I got into a conversation uh, with a friend of mine talking about whether UCLA should fire him before the end of the season. Um, you know, uh, the the primary reason not to the primary reason seriously not to to do it. I'm sorry. Yeah, not to do it is that he. You know, he pulls a, a Lavin <laughs> and, and, and pulls out some games and makes a run and goes to the Elite Eight. And then you can't really even fire him because he went to the Elite Eight. Um, but the chances of that happening now, like I, when you're, you're, I was watching Cincinnati and I'm watching that game first half. And you're starting to say, hey, they, they have a chance. And it felt Lavinish. And then you realized there was no chance. And then Cincinnati, you know, went up by 30. I don't think, I think the chance of, of Steve Alford with this team making a run where he goes to the elite eight is so minimal that it's worth taking that risk. And why is you never want to look, I know people are going to like the way this sounds, but you never as a program or a school want to look like you're pulling the trigger on a coach prematurely. You want it. You want everyone to be unanimous that, yeah, that, that was over time for that to go. And everyone makes the point that, well, they could start, you know, they could start looking for a coach. It's not like, you know, they wouldn't look for a coach before they fire him. So just, I think all in all, you got to let him play it out. What do you say, Dave? Um, it depends. Uh, It depends on how bad it gets. Um, I think, yes, I'm generally of the point that it doesn't really matter if you're willing to look for a coach while you have a coach. Um, I I know the timing of the Jim Mora firing um, so that they could talk more extensively with Chip Kelly makes me think that Dan Guerrero would be loath to do that. I think there's something to that where he might not want to do that. Um, And if that's the case, if it's going to prevent you from talking to a coach, I think you need to. You need to fire him. Um, but if this season goes really bad, like if they, they've lost these two and then say they lose to Ohio state, say they even beat Liberty, but then say they drop a couple at home to the Bay area schools, which are both atrocious this year, followed by that road trip to Oregon. I mean, you got to think about it at that point, because you're also, when you have guys going through a horrific season, it can stunt development. It can stunt, I mean, it can stunt fan support and we're already seeing that. Um, 
But I think if you made a change and you let everyone know, hey, this is going to change now, I don't know if that, that'll keep fan support from eroding, but it might. It might help with that. Um, so I think you need to... You need to keep all your options on the table. I think right now I would probably just say, look, just let it play out to the end of the season because that's the most, you know, the most not no animosity way of getting through this and, you know, cutting ties and not having, you know, I, I think Alford's the kind of guy who's probably gonna uh, bad talk the job afterwards no matter what. But at least you look like the, the bigger party in the whole thing if you just let it go till the end of the year. Um, so... I would probably let it go, but I want I would want to keep all the options on the table because if it does go bad, you want to have the Friedman make a switch in January if you have to. I think that's a really I think that's a very accurate, wise take on this. I, I because I think you'd want it to make it through the season, but you have to reserve that right that if this gets so bad and so ugly, you you have to pull a trigger just to save everyone from you know jumping off a cliff everyone involved so yeah including us who right. has to write about it <sighs> did you see how we got matt joy to write about he did a beautiful he came job. through he did a beautiful honestly job. i don't think either of us could have written about that game any better that's and i mean matt's good but matt's fresh man yeah we've been beaten down we are beaten we are beaten <laughs> into the ground dave our, our 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 recaps have not been our best work this season <laughs> hey Hey, that's okay. Let's collaborate. <laughs> that's all we need to say. We need to collaborate. Um, you... Yeah, okay. man. Okay. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we're both um, of, of, I mean, obviously of the same opinion that this needs to end. And the thing is, and the, the reason why it's so bad is because this isn't it. And I think Matt hit this on the head in his story, actually. This isn't that 2014-2015 season. This team has real talent. Like, they've got some guys on this team who are going to be real pros. um, And to be this bad already and to not look competitive in these three games, Michigan State, North Carolina, and Cincinnati, and then to lose at home to Belmont with this collection of talent, that's a sign that they have completely tuned out the coach. Um, And what's what's so funny about it is people on the forum are saying – but are we really this talented? And yes, <laughs> I'm just going to answer that straight off. Yes, there there is a massive amount of talent, but it starts to not look like talent when it's so poorly coached. Yeah, yeah, and it it, it can't. I mean, it's it's years of this now. Um, yeah, you just it doesn't pass the smell test to think that UCLA is just recruiting the wrong type of kid for six straight years to be kind of underwhelming every single season. Even the Lonzo ball year, they were a little bit underwhelming in the final result. Obviously that was an elite regular season, but to not turn that into anything beyond a sweet 16, that's a disappointment. But even if you throw that one out you say, okay, they met expectations that year. Every other year, I think they've gone under what you would expect. Um, And so you can, you can say it's the talent and they just keep recruiting poorly or they're not evaluating correctly, or they're getting the wrong type of kid, or it's the coach. And at this point, given the different like four and five star players that have rolled through Westwood under Alford, you gotta pin it on the coach at this point. And I and this is the the stuff where we're just I think we're speaking the truth that everyone knows at this point because again the opinion is more or less unanimous on the message board, um, which is I think you know it's that great test of the fan base because we get the most passionate 
I think we get the most passionate people who are, you know, maybe advocating for a coach firing a little bit too early sometimes. And we get the most passionate people on the other spectrum. And I think they're all kind of in the same boat now. I think we get a very sophisticated group that knows things very, you know, knows the sport, knows the team very well. So that's why it's so intensified. Yeah. I'm still, I think I wrote a, a post on the forum. I'm still knocked out by that whole Lavin syndrome because that was my first experience really of, you know, running a, a website, you know, and going through something like this. I, I just thought everyone would rash could rationally see, you know, towards the end of Lavin's uh, tenure at UCLA that, you know, he needed to be fired. Uh, I had yet to run up against the program defenders at that point. And that I'm still intrigued and knocked out by the whole it, and it's just not the program defenders, but sometimes it's the negative. It's the, you know, uh, the guys on the negative side of the argument that will go to such lengths just to defend their side of an argument instead of just saying, yeah, I was wrong. The rationalizations are, are incredible. Um, but I want to, I want to end on one thing. So my, my kids are at my house and of course they grew up, you know, UCLA basketball fans. And one of their friends literally said, he didn't rem he had no knowledge of when UCLA had gone to a final four. I mean, the kid's 19 years, 20 years old. So, you know, when was that a long time ago? Oh my God. That he was, was he 10 was years ago. 10. Yeah. So if he wasn't following college basketball, he wasn't really paying attention. My kids got out the Gonzaga game and played it and literally broke down the last seven minutes play by play you know, player by player, literally possession by possession. And I have to admit, it was amazing to watch. It truly was amazing to watch again. And it was just fun to hear my kids so much into it and, and kind of sad, too, that there's this whole generation that doesn't know that. So, yeah. It's really sad. And, I mean, it's – I don't know. And, you know, college basketball, I think, has even taken a big step back since then. Um, just as a general sport. So I don't know if it ever reaches that level again, but it's got to be better than this. So really, seriously, the best play was not was not the the trap that created the the turnover. It was right after it when Luke Bamute dove on the floor and stole the ball from oh, behind yeah. That was amazing. I play, I replayed that like five times. I don't well, know and it how wasn't he did just that. that. He put the layup in. Yeah. And then I think he guarded the inbound and then ran down the floor <laughs> to get the ball. My thing is, if you can do that, Luke, why not do that on every single play <laughs> when someone's bringing up the ball? <laughs> if you're going to be Superman once, you got to do it every time. He kind of was that first year. Yeah. Oh, freshman Luke. Freshman Luke. One of the best experiences of my college career. I could tell a lot of stories about that. I think I have, like how Hallen saw him at the Nike camp, yeah, and recognized that athleticism. I, in like three games in a row where he didn't score a point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's uh, a pro now, isn't he? He's been a pro for like 12 years, and he sticks, he just sticks around. He's yeah. never like, I think he's been a starter a few times, but he's just, he's a glue guy. Everybody wants yeah. him on their team. When he comes on a team, suddenly they're better defensively. They don't even really know why, but it's just 
Oh, he's in there. what position does he play? He plays small forward and power forward. Yeah, I mean, he's not really neither. He's neither. <laughs> he's just a guy. He's a guy who can guard one through five and just do yep. whatever whatever you need him to do. He can do. Yep. He's uh, yeah. No, he was he was big on the Rockets last year. Um, I think he's with the Clippers this year. But he's uh, is yeah. he? Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, he came came back. Yeah, and I don't even uh, wait. Maybe he might be back with. Yeah, I think he's back with the Clippers. I see, seen, that's, I that's see, the this is NBA how much we don't game. care about the NBA. Yeah. Um, okay, right. then. Well, I think that's it. I think that's it for us. I feel good. Yeah, I feel great, too. I feel good about this collaboration, Dave. This was a beautiful collaboration. We, 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 we made beautiful music together. <laughs> All right. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. We will talk to you again next time. Happy holidays.